I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. Where do ideas and investment intersect? Michael Moe is founder of GSV, a modern merchant bank that invests, advises, and partners with some of the fastest-growing companies in the world, what they call the stars of tomorrow. As you'll hear, GSV, which stands for Global Silicon Valley, runs various investment vehicles, including the publicly traded GSV Capital. It's quite possible you know some of the companies GSV has invested in. Facebook, Spotify, Twitter, Lyft, Dropbox, Coursera, among others. I thought you did. But GSV is far from your traditional investment play. They also incubate ideas. GSV Labs is just one example. Next-generation insights and technologies that, they expect, will help drive next-generation business solutions. How does it work? As Mo explains, GSV has created an active web of companies, advisors, ideas, and investments across several key emerging growth industries, including education, big data, sustainability, social mobile, and more. The result was a terrific conversation that covered the principles of emerging growth investing, thoughts on the pros and cons of tech's role in our daily lives, and what exactly drives innovation today. Michael, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, Chris. So you're an investor, but you hold many, many titles. Let's kind of focus on that one. But but I feel like we, with you, need to start with philosophy because GSV seems to operate very differently from most investors, and it seems to be many things, but driven by um, a very strong point of view about the world and uh, about how it should operate. So um, what is GSV, and, and how would you characterize your philosophy? Yeah, thank you. So GSV stands for Global Silicon Valley. So a component um, of our uh, thesis is while we are based in Silicon Valley, the mindset of innovation and entrepreneurship that's made uh, Silicon Valley such a remarkable place is really spreading around the world. It's going global, it's going viral. And so a big part of GSV is connecting Silicon Valley to the world and the world of Silicon Valley around innovation and entrepreneurship. But we're a modern merchant bank. And what does that mean? A merchant bank obviously invests and advises companies why we're a modern merchant bank is, one, we're focused on emerging growth industries. Um, and secondly, we've created other businesses in addition to our investing and advising activities that are really designed to provide us with advantages with their primary mission of identifying, um, aligning, partnering with the fastest growing, most dynamic companies in the world, what I call the stars of tomorrow. So that's the Modern Merchant Bank, we have investment funds, we have an innovation center, we have research business, we have a conference and media business, but all those center around the common denominator is about um, partnering with uh, these stars of tomorrow. What is innovation today? Uh, it, it's, is the definition changing? It's got to be different than how it was defined or how you defined it 20 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even 12 months ago. What, what, what does it mean to you today? Well, I think, you know, frankly, innovation has probably become uh, a bit of a cliche. Yep. You know, everybody talks about innovation, and it's, um, you know, it, it, it certainly, um, I think, has the, at the risk of being overused. But the essence of why innovation is fundamental to what we care about, which is growth companies and, and, and growth sectors, is it's about um, doing things better. It's in, in, in better 
could mean higher quality. It could mean lower cost. It could mean in creating greater access, you know, to drive better results. <clears throat> you know, innovation is really the process of improving upon status quo. And, you know, we're looking, um, and, and, and what's exciting to, to me is while the word innovation is, is arguably uh, become way uh, overused, you know, the, the fundamentals of change and disruptive technology and entrepreneurship and ideas that can really uh, transform society, you know, is flourishing. And that's, I think, very, very exciting. And, um, and, and, and we hope with GSV to, to you know, be in the middle of that ecosystem. And I want to ask you about the sectors that you're really focused on and, and really the, what it means to be investing in emerging growth companies and, and what you look for. But just to, just to clarify and get all the facts straight, couldn't agree more regarding innovation and it's overused. But in, empirically, um, can, you were the first to use the word. I mean, I, I, I don't think that, you know, we, we could just go ahead and say that. We don't need to worry about anybody actually proving that, right? Well, uh, I mean, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if that's factual or not. But I certainly not. I, I won't. Uh, I won't argue against it. We won't let facts get in the way. And yeah, let's uh, let's let's not argue over that. Um, it, it, emerging growth companies, uh, and you know, you, you, the the sectors that you're focused on: um, education, um, big data, sustainability, social, mobile. You tell me if I've left any out. Um, but but what does it what what does it mean emerging growth company you know try, tell me the company that says you know we're not interested in e emerging growth so how how do you define it and and then maybe let's go through the sectors and particularly if I left any of them out so I think you got to distinguish between uh, emerging growth sectors and um, um, themes and emerging growth companies because there can be emerging growth companies that are in non-growth sectors. And so mm. in my definition of emerging growth is that the, the company or sector theme is experiencing rapid growth, growth well in excess of normal even or you know, traditional growth. So in other words, to be an emerging growth company, that means to, to me that you're growing your revenues and ultimately your earnings at at least a kind of 30% rate, you know, which is you know more than three times the normal company. A mo emerging growth industry, you know, is really um, a sector um, that is growing significantly greater than the overall economy. Obviously, in a, an economy that grows two or three percent, you know, an industry that's growing at um, you know 10 or 15 or 20 percent. Um, is growing much faster, and that would qualify as emerging growth industry. But one of the reasons we're, what we're looking for is where there's tremendous change taking place, and where you know often where there's problems because problems create um, opportunities. But we're also looking at technologies that are uh, being embedded in, in in the world that have an opportunity to really transform things. I mean, one obvious example of that is 10 years ago when the smartphone. Um, appeared on the scene, which really changed everything. I mean, it, it allowed a number of business models to be created. It effectively allowed people to have a computer in their pocket. Um, and so that's an example of um, the type of 
shifts or change that we're you know, that, that we're looking for. We can talk about some of the industries and some of the themes that we think are are uh, ripe for innovation and ripe for emerging growth um, opportunities. So let, let's do that. What, what are the uh, what are the industries that that are top of mind for you today, and 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 why maybe? Sure. Well, you mentioned education, and uh, and in our view, education talent is uh, really. Um, going to be a gigantic area for for growth and opportunity. Primarily, you know, we're in a knowledge economy uh, in a global marketplace where what you know or your knowledge or education makes a difference not only for an individual but for a company and, for that matter, a country. And so classic big problem, big opportunity. And so now what you're seeing is technology being inserted in this already massive industry that is – providing uh, people the access to, to, to the knowledge they need, the education they need to participate in the future. These, re- these rapidly growing businesses, what I call weapons of mass instruction, hmm. um, companies like Coursera you know, has 32 million learners on its platform. Coursera is another example um, of, a, of a company that uh, you know, is, a, is, is scaling very, very rapidly in, the, in, in this space. Um, so that's, that's an example um, you know, another um, theme that we've been focused on for some time, and it really goes back to this point about you know, what the mobile phone has done in terms of catalyzing new opportunities, what we call social mobile. So we were an investor in Facebook and Twitter and Snap and Spotify, all companies that, that um, you know, have been uh, uh, you know, benefit, you know, fr- from that theme. And we continue to see the world being organized um, as much around um, tribes and interest as it was historically around kind of geography or kind of other um, areas that people you know used to be organized around. So that's that's another theme: um, artificial intelligence and really it's machine learning and big data. Yeah. But what's what's incredible in terms of what's taking place? You know, people have talked about artificial intelligence for some time, but now you have software that's so powerful that can literally on the fly analyze, um, you know, what you know, uh, where you have gaps, where, you know, where you have interest, and and the, and the information and data that's being provided really is transformational. So those are some areas that, you know, we think are pretty, um, pretty compelling. You've been inspired by education and the knowledge space um, almost since your beginning, haven't you? I mean, I know um, as far back as uh, 1996, you, you published a, a white paper on uh, the knowledge sector and the opportunities there. Um, why has that for you personally been such a, an area of intrigue? And, um, you know, I can't imagine that you uh, foresaw everything that has come since then. So how has that sector played out in, in ways that you didn't expect, maybe? Well, um, what you saw, and I guess it really came from my my... I was a research person. Uh, I was running uh, growth research at Lehman Brothers, and what, and then ultimately uh, the white paper I was head uh, of growth research and strategy at Montgomery Securities. It was called the Dawn of the Age of Knowledge. And what, what I kept on seeing was, in talking to these fast-growing companies, the CEOs, and I'd go, you know, what's the number one issue you have with your, you know, competition or to achieve your objectives? And it kept coming back that the 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 uh, the, the lack of 
um, the, accessing uh, people with the skill set, the education, the knowledge. Need. So I kept on hearing this over and over again. I started kind of connecting different pieces and dots and really understanding kind of what's going on here. And you fast forward, what does that mean in a society um, where increasingly it was going to be about um, your knowledge? You know, it wasn't it wasn't a physical um, you know, um, capital. You know, businesses, the industrial economy was was being left in the dust, and we really entered the knowledge economy. You know, 30 years ago, uh, you know, 25 years ago, and and that that became the beginning of really kind of understanding what are the different issues. And with education, it's very very complex. I mean, there's a number of reasons um, that um, you know that, that things need to change and be addressed if, in fact, you want to give everybody an opportunity to participate in the future. Have MOOCs played out the way you thought they would. I, I, remember, I actually spoke with um, the two heads, and I forget their names. I think one of them is still there, of Coursera. This was this must have been five years ago, five, six years ago yep. at this point. Yeah, Daphne Cole and Andrew Hammer yes. are the, the yeah. right. Yep, the Daphne, and, and it was one of the one of the folks. And at, at that point, it, it felt like, okay, you know, this is exactly the power of what the internet is going to and can and should provide, connecting the best of the world's knowledge so that regardless of where you're located, um, you have access to it. Um, and so on the one hand, that, that potential seems extraordinary. Um, on the other hand, while we're seeing online learning um, in certain areas, have are, are MOOCs massive on, open online courses um, – are they catching on the way – is the business model talk, – talk to me about the business model, I guess, and, and maybe maybe you'll talk about it in terms of Coursera because originally the concept was these are just going to be available and, and people will learn and, and that's wonderful. Um, but, but monetizing it and creating a business model out of it has been um, the next level. Where is Coursera on that and, and how do you think about the, the business model in terms of online learning? So I think a lot of the entrenched um, – Status quo. I mean, the, the MOOC phenomena, uh, which began just over five years ago. So you were early in kind of uh, identifying um, a, a, a shift that was taking place. You know, initially, all the universities kind of rushed to being part of MOOCs because they I think they were they were afraid that they're going to be left behind. Yeah. And then, um, as often as the case, things don't materialize as fast as maybe initially had been um, either expected or feared. And and then the conventional wisdom with the, you know, was that, you know, this MOOCs was sort of a Roman candle and going away. You know, interestingly, um, what's happened over the last five years, I believe, is kind of um, set the stage for being um, wildly um, both disruptive, but disruptive in a positive way. Um, you know, we're truly this kind of, aspiration of making the world's knowledge available to anybody in any corner of the, the earth, either for free or at very low cost, is happening. And so the you know, Coursera has, you know, clearly established itself as the leader in terms of the number of students, you know, thirty one million students at the last time they released it, um, and which is I think more than double the second closest competitor. But the business model itself, I mean you have thirty one million people doing anything. There's ways to monetize it other than the way that people traditionally think of when well, education you pay for, you know, pay these high prices for a course or for a degree. Well, with Coursera, most of the people that take um, 
courses on Coursera today are taking it for free from the best universities in the world um, for no cost. But you know, like Dropbox, which most you know the, of the 500 million people on Dropbox, most of it, most of the people um, use Dropbox for free. The people that use it have allowed Dropbox to create a very big business, and, and Coursera is scaling very, very rapidly from a revenue standpoint, um, both from the certificates that you see increasingly on a LinkedIn profile that you said you took this Coursera class, or in the corporate marketplace where major corporations um, are looking to, to retrain and to help develop um, you know, their, their human capital, their, 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 their employees. And then uh, recently, Coursera has uh, introduced degrees in partnership with, with, with their university partners. And, you know, at prices that are um, your same degree from a University of Illinois MBA, for example, but at a fraction of the cost of having to go to the campus itself. So, yeah, I mean, I think as people see the numbers, um, I think they'll be surprised and impressed. And I think like a lot of new technologies, um, it's much, uh, it takes longer, but, but it becomes much bigger than maybe even the optimists had thought, you know, when it started. How, how do you see the opportunity in that space when you, when you look at unemployment at record lows, but you see wages not necessarily moving and, and are, are corporations going to have to do more retraining and, and, and creating education opportunities for employees for you, for them to be able to remain competitive for high wage opportunities. Is there, how do you think about the, the balance between wages, unemployment, and the role that something like Coursera could play um, for employee learning? Yeah, I think that's where the, where the biggest opportunity is. Frankly, it's people that um, have a college degree, but in a world where technology is changing very fast and automation and robots, I mean, the degree that you got 10 years ago is obsolete. And so, you know, no longer are you going to fill up your knowledge tank to age 25 and drive off through life. You're going to continually need to replenish what you know with modern and current skills to be relevant. And so that's, and, and to do that, you're not going to drop out of life and, uh, you know, with your mortgage and your kids going to school to go back to college, you're going to be taking classes um, on the bus um, at breaks, you know, different, different, in different ways, you know, when you can and when you want it, just like you consume a lot of different entertainment. And so that's I mean, just a fundamental shift of how you think about how people are going to obtain the knowledge they need. Um, but that's, I think, a big deal. How much do you worry about the downsides of technology? I mean, you talked about some of the when you talk about the the social mobile environment. We you know we know the Facebook headlines, um, you know Snap, another place that you invested in, and and the, the silos um, that we see in society. I mean, I, I I look at you and and the areas that you've focused on over the last twenty thirty years, the ways in which uh, you know the online education is to you know bringing people together and bring you know connecting knowledge and connecting people from around the world, and on the other hand, something like social mobile, which has had obviously great benefit, but also we're now seeing unfortunately real um, costs around it in terms of uh, silos and and divisions. How, how do you do? You, do you worry about that? How, how do you think about that balance? Um, you know, look, I think it's important to pay attention to um, things that are going on, and um, you know, I think there's issues that have been caused by technology, or maybe now being diagnosed that that always existed. Um, 
that you know are not are not good, not healthy. I mean, I, you know, the anxiousness and and some of this is this fact that you're always on, right? I mean, there, there's never a moment where you aren't connected. Um, and you look at the level of anxiety, or at least anxiety being diagnosed with uh, you know, teenagers and uh, people in their you know the millennials. You look at depression. I mean, you look at you know the you know the you know, worse suicide and so forth. I mean, there's just a lot of things that you know you have to pay attention to. Say, are these all a consequence of of technology? And I think what 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 I believe is is probably two things. One, um, it's important to be aware of it. But it's also um, you can fight against it. But to a lot of ways, a lot of ways that you know the technology that's that's here today and the technology that's going to be here ten years from now, it's like gravity. It's going to happen. You can't outlaw it. You can't. You know, you can try to do different things about it. So it's really what can you do to um, make it so it's not unhealthy or that you're getting the benefits but not getting the the things that can be harmful. So um, I mean, I think, but I also think that every generation. Of people looks and says, okay, this stuff that's happening, you know, it's going to kind of be the end of society, the end of the world. And yet human nature is incredibly adapting. And so I think that's where the future work where everybody says, well, you know, robots are going to basically have all the jobs and, you know, and, and you're going to need universal basic income and so forth, or whether it's you know, these um, mental health issues that you see that, that think, you know, being um, uh, connected to, to, to technology and smartphones and, and social media and so forth. But again, I think we find ways to adapt or to solve that so you know people can be healthier and they can have a richer and more productive and healthy life. And I do, I do believe I'm an optimist um, on both the future and about how technology can be mainly a social good. And you just have to be conscious of the things that um, you know that that, that that could be harmful. And, and to close out, Michael, a couple of questions just about uh, GSV and some of the things that, that, that you've learned. So uh, global Silicon Valley and, and connecting Silicon Valley to the world and the world of Silicon Valley. Um, any regions, any areas that you're particularly uh, interested in right now that you're focusing on or, or that, that might intrigue you a little bit differently right now than they have previously? Well, I think you're seeing this phenomenon spread throughout the world. You really are. I mean, you know, you look at the people that want to be entrepreneurs, high school students and college students that want to be entrepreneurs. Um, it's like through the roof. I mean, I, I couldn't have spelled I couldn't have spelled the word entrepreneur in college. Yeah. And so you look, but you look at many of the college students they they want to be entrepreneurs, and that's that's a global phenomenon. I also think specifically in Silicon Valley, and this is something we're seeing um, over and over. The cost of living is so ex- so excessive here. That many entrepreneurs are saying, I just can't afford to live here. And by the way, now that you're seeing the spread of an ecosystem that, that you don't just have to be in Silicon Valley to be a thriving entrepreneur, I mean, you're seeing this. I say it's, you know, it's from Austin to Boston, from Chicago to Sao Paulo, from Mumbai to Shanghai to Dubai. I mean, these are these are all places you're seeing the, this phenomenon go. I wrote a book last year called the Global Silicon Valley Handbook, and it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but it mapped out innovation centers around the world and is using data such as angel activity and and you know where venture capital is happening where um, you had education levels such because one of the raw raw ingredients to entrepreneurship innovation and 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 some of these opportunities is really human capital and talent and Mm. and one of the most fertile places for that obviously is universities and so that's something that we're paying close attention to both because that's where the human capital is and that's where there's you have this gigantic interest of entrepreneurship 
And as I hear you talk, on the one hand, I hear the speaking and the words of an investor, emerging growth, returns, business models, opportunities. And on the other hand, I hear um, ideas and, and you know, the, the handbook, you know, the, the role of uh, knowledge that is going to play in terms of individuals and, and, and society. Are you – do you see yourself – do you see GSV? Are you – an investment vehicle, or are you an ideas producer? Well, I think at the core of investment um, opportunities is ideas and research, and so I think at the core, um, you know, we're you know, are the the, fu- the foundation of our investment is our research and our ideas, and then we're looking for opportunities that kind of fit within our worldview of of, of where, where opportunities, the best opportunities, are going to be created. Um, you know, we we you know the investment business is is a phenomenal business, and we're absolutely at our core. You know, we're 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 you know we have funds, and we want to be viewed as a preeminent growth investor. But really, what gives us that opportunity is having this lens uh, and generate ideas and really think about where things are going and why, and then also you know create things like the Global Silicon Valley Handbook. You know, GSV Labs, where we have over 200 startups and 25 corporate partners that are that are um, you know working with us, and now we've got labs not only in Silicon Valley but Boston and Delhi and, and Bangalore, India, and we're, we're we're looking to have 40 labs around the world in the next um, uh, five years, and conferences that we put on. So all this is around this uh, in a, this entrepreneurial innovation idea ecosystem, but then being able to kind of take that those ideas and that connectivity. And translate into great investments. I mean, that's how it all is brought together. Michael, thank you. Thank you for your time. Chris, my pleasure. That was my conversation with Michael Moe. I hope you like these working capital conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five star review. The ratings really matter, they go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. My thanks to Michael for the conversation and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you soon. Thank you.